turning your Bibles, um, turning your Bibles to uh, John six. John six, starting at verse thirty, and then we'll also look at the confession of faith. If you have your handout, it's actually on that top of the handout. But if you don't, it's page nine thirty-seven. We're only going to read section five at the opening, and then we'll look at section six later. So let's look first at God's holy word. God's holy word from John 6, starting at verse 30. Hear the word of the Lord. So they said to him, that is to Jesus, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Let's pray. We ask, dear God, that you would help us to understand this, your word. Help us to understand these difficult texts, those texts that at times uh, have caused some to stumble and, and depart from the faith. But help us to understand and to believe that you have sent your only begotten Son as the bread of life. And help us, we pray, by faith to feed upon our blessed Lord Jesus we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, I like... Um, we'll, read, we'll read section 5 in a little bit. But I like what our church has done to move on... How would we say it? Uh, we've moved on from... As we get the elements, each person was eating the bread and then drinking the wine as we got them. And I need to make, make announcements every Lord's Day. We have the Lord's Supper that we'll all, we'll all as a reminder, because sometimes I forgot to, I have forgotten, um, to, well, they, we wait for one another and we eat together. We take the bread together and then we take the wine together. But when we do so, this is what the directory of uh, worship says. It says here that the minister is to say something like this. As we, as we take the bread and we all eat together, our Lord Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then we all have the wine distributed. We all each have it. And we're ready to partake at the same time. And this is what I am to say. Our Lord Jesus said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Now, in both occasions... We're calling the bread the body of Christ. Then we're calling the wine the blood of Christ. This is my blood. Now somebody might say, well, how can you use that language if you don't believe in transubstantiation? How can you say, this is my body? And how can you say, this is my blood, if it's not truly True that it becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ, like the Roman Catholics would teach. Now, if someone asks that question, the answer is found in section 5. The outward elements of this sacrament, duly set apart, you can remember from this morning, to duly set something apart is to consecrate it or to dedicate it. So, the outward elements of this sacrament, duly set apart or consecrated, to the uses ordained by Christ, have such a relation to him crucified as that truly yet sacramentally only 
they are sometimes called by the name of the things they represent, to wit, the body and blood of Christ. Albeit, in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. Now, for the minister to say, this is the body of Christ and this is the blood of Christ, is to use scriptural language. Now, I believe some have taken scripture, figurative language in scripture, and have taken it too far. And one example, I would say, is found in John chapter 6. Kind of a long passage that we read from John chapter 6, but I'm going to just kind of skim over it a little bit at this point. Uh, Verse uh, 33, Jesus said, that he is really, he's beginning to insinuate here that in verse 33, he is the bread of God which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then in verse 51, Jesus is more clear here. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Now the Jews don't understand this. They're confused And they say, well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And some of them couldn't handle, they couldn't handle it. And they they departed from Christ because of this difficult teaching. Now, what's key here is that the opening and the beginning of this section in John chapter 6 starts with them discussing the manna that came down from heaven. They were looking for a sign. And they were maybe, maybe look, just as Moses, uh, God during the time of Moses, sent down manna from heaven, may we see a sign, they're asking. Well, um, Jesus tells them something more important than giving them a sign. He tells them about the nature of having eternal life through him. Now, it's important to note that the manna was a type, was a prefigurement of Jesus Christ. I would say it was a massive massive sign, a massive type of Christ, because it was very plentiful and it was given over many years. Manna coming down from heaven, where Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment. That was the type, but I'm the real thing. I'm the bread that came down from heaven, and unless you partake of me, you will perish, is what he's saying. So they were confused. And Jesus doesn't really let up, and he really, you could say, he intensifies or he speaks more boldly in verses 53 through 55. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Now, in verse 60, some of the, many of the disciples, when they heard this, they said it was, very, uh, it was a difficult statement. And who can listen to it? And we find out later that others departed from Jesus and the company of the other disciples. It was a stumbling block for them. Now, Dr. Hendrickson wrote this. If, you, if you're going to summarize what Jesus is saying here, This is a beautiful summary of what Jesus is saying. He said that just as food and drink are assimilated or taken in and absorbed and used by the body, 
so this sacrifice, that of Christ, is assimilated by the soul. As those food and drink nourish and sustain physical life, so this, the body and blood of Christ, nourishes and sustains spiritual life. That is something to remember. So in other words, if you do not have Christ, you are spiritually perishing. You will perish. You will die of spiritual starvation. You must have Jesus Christ if you are to have eternal life. You must feed upon him and you must uh, drink of him, you could say. Now, again, I, I strongly believe the language here in John 6 is figurative because they even asked the question, um, well, does, are we saying that we have to actually eat his flesh? They're, they're questioning that, you know. But, of course, that's not what Jesus is saying. And, uh, but the Roman Catholic Church, I believe, has taken John 6 and has sought to say that only we, in the Catholic Church can be the fulfillment of what is written here in John 6. That one who partakes of the Mass literally and truly partake of the body and blood of Christ because those elements are transformed into the very substance of Christ's body and blood. So for the Roman Catholic who takes by faith, they can say, um, they could say that he is truly feeding upon Jesus Christ in the sense of what John is saying here, um, what Jesus is saying in John chapter 6. Now my question is this. John 6, why can't we take it as being a parallel passage of something figurative, just as what John wrote about what Jesus said in John 4. Let's turn there. Um, in John 4, he's speaking of living water that only he could give. John 4, 7 and following. Um, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but this woman from Samaria is a, is a, meets Jesus, and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And then later on he says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? And who, who gave us this well? and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in, will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So again, this is not something that is literal. It's, it is figurative. But it has a true, deep, spiritual reality. That if you don't, do not partake of the living water that Christ gives, you will perish. Now, as far as I know, there's no church in the history of the Christendom that has taken a 
made a sacrament out of this and said, well, uh, let's let's have regular water and we're going to it's going to get it's going to get converted to living water and we'll partake of it in the worship service. No, they take this they take this figuratively. But it, why can't we then look at John 6 and take it figuratively as well? Um, section 6 uh, of the confession goes on to say that doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest, or by any other way, is repugnant, not to Scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason. It overthroweth the nature of the sacrament. Now, Thomas Aquinas, he wrote some philosophical stuff, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ex- try to explain it very briefly, but he, dis- he said that there's a distinction between something that one would call a um, substance and accidents. So there's a distinguishing thing between substance and accidents. And somehow, by saying that, that's the explanation he gives for why the, the body of Christ doesn't really feel like flesh and why the wine doesn't really taste like blood because it, it's, it's somehow truly the body and blood of Christ, but in, in notion of actual substance, not really. Now, no matter how you argue it, I think the confession is right. No matter how you argue it, no matter what kind of uh, philosophical argument you use, it's still, as the Confession says, something that is contrary to common sense and reason. It's contrary to Scripture. Um, We know it's contrary to Scripture because I don't think you could really argue that doctrine of transubstantiation from the Scriptures. Section 6. It concludes that the doctrine of transubstantiation is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. Now, that's strong language um, against those who practices of the Mass, Roman Catholic Mass. However, I do not believe that everyone partaking of the sacrament in the, in the Catholic Church is an idol worshiper based upon this section. Now, I have met many Catholics, and I've heard of others as well, who are true believers in Jesus Christ. Um, again, it, the Confession says that it, it is, it's, the doctrine is idolatry. The doctrine can lead to idolatry, but I do believe you can find true believers in the Catholic Church. Um, I think the key here is that a person who is regenerate or born again and a Catholic, they have derived their understanding of salvation, not clearly only because of what the priests teach, but I believe there are people who read the Bible for themselves and study the scriptures for themselves. My wife and I, you've heard this story a few times, I'm sure, but my wife and I had a a lovely uh, Catholic neighbor named Marianne, same spelling as my wife, um, and she would go to the Catholic Mass, but she never prayed to Mary, and she never prayed to the saints. She prayed to God through Jesus Christ. She was a very evangelical-minded Catholic, but she said she never wanted to leave the Catholic Church because that was considered her home church. 
um, we had a young man in seminary who came to the uh, Presbyterian Reformed Seminary through a Roman Catholic priest. The Roman Catholic priest witnessed to him not only Protestant doctrine, but Reformed Calvinistic doctrine. Of course, the, this priest told him, you know, to be careful who you tell that where you, you came to an understanding of the Protestant Reformed faith. You probably wouldn't want to go to his head, the bishop of the area, and, and explain that to the bishop, how he became um, a, a Reformed Protestant. I'm sure that, that priest would lose his job. But there are those who hold to evangelical doctrine, even in the Catholic Church. Again, we could say that Roman Catholics can be saved not because of the, um, you could say the, the, the holding to the exactly the doctrines of the Catholic Church. You could say they, they're saved because they believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, and you could say that their salvation is oftentimes in spite of the Roman Catholic doctrine. Again, the key thing is that they've understood the key messages of what the Bible teaches and have come to a salvation um, through that. Now, in conclusion, when we look at this section, we believe that the Lord's Supper is more than just a remembrance. It, it, this is not the position of the, of the Reformed Church that we believe that it's only remembrance. That's what Zwingli taught. The Reformer Zwingli said it was purely, strictly, only remembrance. Now, we don't believe that it, the elements have been transformed into the very body of blood of Christ. But at the same time, as uh, in our Book of Church Order, we believe that when we partake by faith, the Holy Spirit works in and through us through this beautiful, blessed means of grace, this holy sacrament that we spiritually, truly feed upon the crucified, resurrected, exalted Jesus Christ. And that's what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. It's, we don't believe in that it's truly, literally the body and blood of Christ, but at the same time, we truly believe that we are feeding upon Christ, the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. We ask our dear Lord that you would help us to grow in a greater appreciation of what Jesus has done for us, that Jesus has died for our sins that he was raised for our justification, and that we forever have Jesus Christ as our blessed high priest. We thank you, O Father, that through Christ we can approach your holy throne and that we can feed upon him by faith. Help us, we pray, to grow in grace, to grow in understanding, to feed upon the blessed Lord Jesus, and to, to truly uh, never um, fade in our appreciation and in, in our wonder and awe uh, concerning this blessed privilege that we have to partake of this holy sacrament. Help us, we pray, to grow in grace by all of the means, the, your word and your sacraments, and, and by prayer. We ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, I want us to sing a 204 a parting hymn we sing. Let's stand and sing 204.